You're listening to The Pet Factor, news on pet health, wellness, and the latest in veterinary medicine. Hi, welcome to our next episode of The Pet Factor. I'm Dr. Jim Hosek. I'm Brittany. And uh, this week we're going to start talking about diabetes. And originally I was going to talk about diabetes in dogs and cats, but there's just too much stuff to do in one week. So this week we're going to do cats. Next week we'll do dogs. Um, But it's good to listen to both of them. You never know when you're going to have a cat or dog come Mm -hmm. in your life that has this problem. Uh, One thing before we get started, Brittany, I just wanted to point out people (laughs) who watch us on YouTube, or if you want to watch us on YouTube, you've got something on your head here that just appeared this week. (laughs) Well, I was setting up for pictures with Santa. And I opened our box with a Christmas tree, and it was a headband with a Christmas tree Santa hat. Yes. We already got the Christmas music playing in the clinic here. It's not even Thanksgiving. Yes, we've been playing it for about a month now. Okay. (laughs) Well, one of the doctors said, you need to do the podcast with that that headband. I love it. So, I have it. (laughs) All right. So, here we go. Um, So, basically, what is diabetes? Um, And there's two types of diabetes. There's diabetes mellitus and diabetes insipidus. Mm -hmm. Diabetes just means you're drinking a lot of water. Yeah. In fact, it comes from this Greek word for siphon, which means you pee like you're siphon, pushing water out. You're passing water like crazy. The mellitus refers to sugar. So in diabetes mellitus, your body has too much sugar in the blood. It's leaking into the urine. Mm. So the body's trying to get rid of that sugar as well as it can, and that's what makes you drink a lot of water. Okay. Uh, so this is what happens in people, dogs, cats, um, ferrets can get diabetes. Hmm. A lot of different animals will be affected by this. And there's two types of diabetes. Uh, you may have heard of type 1 and type 2. We'll mm-hmm. talk more about the type 1 next week because that's the one we see more common in dogs. But type 2 is what we see in cats. Yeah. And it's not that they don't produce insulin. It's just their cells become resistant to it. So they're not responding to the insulin the way they should. Um, it typically affects middle-aged, obese, indoor cats, mm-hmm. but not always. It can be any cat, any age, any size. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones we're going to look at more. One, one time I remember being told that yellow and orange cats are going to be more likely to be diabetic. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. a thing, but uh, when I see a fat orange cat, I always <laughs> worry about it still. The incidence is anywhere from 1 in 200 to 1 in 50 cats, depending on the studies you look at. But it certainly has been increasing. And we talked, we had a story a while back about the increased obesity in pets, and Mm -hmm. that's going to play a role in that. Um, It can also be, we don't know exactly what causes it, if there's a genetic predisposition, but we know that certain diseases can predispose them to diabetes, Mm -hmm. infections, anything that can affect the pancreas can do that. Um, We'll see... Cats that sometimes are on medications like steroids for long terms can develop diabetes. Yeah. So those are things we want to be careful of when we're on steroids. We're going to be watching the blood sugar so it's not something. So if it does start spiking, we can take them off the medication and mm-hmm. try something else. The symptoms people are going to notice, and the thing they come in most not commonly, yeah. is there's drinking a lot and peeing a lot. Mm-hmm. And it might just be they're not using the litter box. Yeah, they have a lot um, of accidents. Right. Another reason could be for weight loss. Yeah. So they say, hey, my cat lost a lot of weight. I wasn't really trying to get him to lose weight, but he seems really skinny. And we'll look at our records, and yeah, they've dropped a couple of pounds. Mm-hmm. Vomiting can be a symptom of, of diabetes, particularly when the ketones start building up in their blood. Okay. And ketones are the body's way of trying to compensate for not being able to use the glucose. It'll break down fats, and that re- results into the, the ketones building up. Um, dehydration. If they're not getting mm-hmm. to the water, if they don't have enough fresh water and their body's putting out all this urine, they can get dehydrated yeah. and they can get tired and weak. Um, there can be an increase in appetite is most typical, but in the ketoacidosis, they can have a decrease yes. in their appetite. Mm-hmm. appetite. So we're going to 
this is one of the things that the wellness blood panels are going to pick up. The pre-anesthetic blood panels are going to pick up. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll repeat a blood panel, and that's why having a baseline is good. So we can mm -hmm. go back there. What was our blood sugar three months ago? Mm -hmm. We'll have a number there. So we'll look for elevated blood sugar in their blood and um, sugar in their urine, and potentially yeah. the ketones in the urine can be a helpful diagnostic tool mm -hmm. as well. Or even like, you know, when we have pets... It takes some owners a while to bring their pet in. Mm -hmm. If they're having accidents, if their urine seems sticky at all, right. that's not normal. Um, usually that's definitely a sign of that, you know, there's a lot of sugar in that urine. Mm -hmm. um, that's more of a reason to get them in for that blood work. Yeah. Um, just because at that point it's like cleaning up sugar water and it gets harder and harder to clean up. And, you know, it's not just a simple UTI, nice. UTI now. You're dealing with something much bigger. Yeah, that's um, a really good point. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, Back in the old days, before we had drug testing, the way you diagnosed yeah. diabetes was to drink the urine if Take it tasted sweet. That's how you know. Um, our treatment in in cats and in dogs is going to be multiphasic, so we're going to have many things we're going to do. Mm -hmm. Most cats are going to need to go on insulin. Yes. Um, there's two types of insulin we'll use in the cats. There's the Vetslin and then the Prozinc. Mm -hmm. We like the Prozinc better. It's a longer-lasting insulin. Um but in some cats, it's more expensive. Some cats, we can get by with the Vetslin insulin. It's going to be initially um, a dose that we're going to try and get their blood sugar regulated. I'd say in about half the cats we start on insulin, within three to six months, I can take them off of insulin. Yeah. But the other important part of managing them is getting them on a good diet. Mm -hmm. And cats do not do well, or diabetic cats do not do well on carbo high carbohydrate diets. Yeah. We have other cats that will eat dry food, which is high in carbohydrates all the time, never develop diabetes, live to be 20. But some cats, they look at the dry food and mm -hmm. they start making sugar in their urine before they even <laughs> taste it. So canned cat food is going to be our number one choice. There are some prescription cat foods that are really good for dealing with diabetes. The mm -hmm. first one that came out was a Prina DM. Um, ironically, they do make a dry form of that, which I don't usually recommend. Yeah. But some cats, it's hard to get them onto canned food. Mm -hmm. So if we have to feed them something, I'd rather they get the Prina DM dry than uh, just a regular dry or even just a regular can. Um, there's, uh, Hills has their MD diet, their metabolism diet. Um, we'll also sometimes in, in dogs, we'll use high fiber diets. We can talk about that more next week. But um, diet is very important. So getting them just on a canned food, particularly the DM, is going to be my number one choice. Yeah. Uh, then making sure they have plenty of water, mm -hmm. getting them to exercise, getting them to start moving around, using their muscles, getting their metabolism into a better gear is going to be yeah. very important as well. And sometimes it's harder because a lot of times diabetic cats are older ones. Yeah. And so that's kind of hard, but just trying to, you know, find whatever excites them. Mm -hmm. yeah, they have a feather toy, a laser light, something just to, right. you know, excite them. And one of the other things is uh, diabetes can lead to some long-term problems. One of those is neuropathy, and that can mm -hmm. make it hard for them to move around. Yeah. It causes weakness in their hind legs. So bef by that point, you know, we're not going to get those cats off of insulin, but yeah. we can certainly get them to a better quality of life um, overall. So the insulin is usually given twice a day. People get a little scared when they think <laughs> I'm giving my cat a shot. It's yeah. not that hard. The needles are very tiny. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I've seen some animals, they get to realize that the shot makes them feel better. Yeah. So they remind their owners, hey, it's time for me to get your shot. Usually we're giving around time they're getting food anyway. So they know, okay, I'm getting a shot, then yeah. I'm getting food. Yeah, I usually recommend owners, um, for dogs or cats, recommend doing, I let them get halfway through their food and then you give them the injection. Um, my dog, when she was getting her insulin, I gave it while she was eating. She would get mm-hmm. so excited because she's like, I'm getting loving and food. This is great. So most of the time, it's a positive they, they really them. don't notice that needle. It's really no, tiny. not at all. <laughs> but it's important that um, you give the insulin properly. You mm-hmm. store it properly. Um, we're going to give a demonstration to the people, all the people hopefully that are going to be involved in administering the insulin. Mm-hmm. And if you ever have any questions on how to do it, just ask your veterinarian, ask the yeah. text to give you another demonstration. We're not opposed to that. One of the important things is to make sure the insulin is mixed up before you inject it. Yeah. Insulin is what we call a suspension. It's not a, a, a liquid. So... This, it'll settle out, and mm-hmm. if you just turn it upside down, you may suck up too high a dose or too low a dose. Yeah. And too high a dose can make their blood sugar crash, and they can uh, start to have seizures from low blood sugar. And too uh, low a dose, they're not going to get regulated. We're going to think we're not giving enough insulin, and, and we might be having a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, monitoring is important. I'll usually check them once a week if everything's going okay. If we're having trouble getting a cat regulated, we're going to have them come in for a blood sugar curve. Yeah. And this is something they come in for the day. We check their blood sugar every hour, maybe every two, depending on how they're doing. But we want to see the high and low points of their blood sugar during the day. Mm -hmm. So when we have them come back for blood sugar tests, we can say, okay, we know at 3.30 every day their blood sugar is going to be at the lowest point. That's where we want to check it a lot of the times. If Mm -hmm. we want to see the highest point, it might be 9 o'clock in the morning. So being able to know those points makes it much easier. I think cats are should be a lot easier to manage as diabetics because their diet is consistent than people. Uh, yeah. yeah. People are eating different things every day. <laughs> Unless you have those sneaky cats that jump up on things or eat other animals' food, which usually is the problem. That, that can't, because the, the diabetes does make them very hungry. Mm-hmm. They, they can't use that sugar in their blood, so they're feeling hungry because mm-hmm. their cells are still starving. All the sugar is just going out their urine, so they feel hungry even mm-hmm. though they're losing weight and they're eating tons of food. Um, that's how I have a friend who was diagnosed with diabetes, and that was how he was diagnosed. He was just hungry and losing weight. He said, this is great. I can eat everything I want and still lose weight. But it wasn't that great. No. Um, so if we do wean them off the insulin, we're going to manage them with diet and, and continue to monitor them. Um, some cats that are still on insulin will do a test called fructosamine. This is a way to, to manage or to test their management because it's actually measuring their average blood sugar over a couple of weeks. So the glucose binds to the proteins in the blood and forms this fructosamine molecule, and that has a very long half-life. So it correlates very well to the average blood sugar rather than any particular point during the day. (laughs) So they have normals for the cats, and we can get that fructosamine level down, even though their blood sugar may be testing high in the mornings and and a little bit lower. This will tell us how well we're regulating them. Yeah. so our goal is to actually get the blood sugar down to normal levels, especially getting out of the urine. If we can get out yeah. of the urine, we can eliminate a lot of those symptoms. Um, the complications, I talked about the neuropathy is one. Mm-hmm. Infections are another one because yeah. the sugars in the urine, uh, urinary tract infections are very common in these cats. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's how we diagnose them is they have a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. Hepatic lipidosis is something I'll see in diabetic cats, especially uh, as secondary to ketoacidosis. They're not eating well. They're not feeling well, and so their liver starts to swell from the fat, and yeah. that, that leads to problems there. Over time, um, the, the the pancreas can stop producing insulin in cats. They can 
transfer to a type 1 diabetic. Yeah. They get a, uh, this amyloid protein gets built up in their pancreas and it just kills the, the cells that produce the insulin. So, like I said, half the cats, we get off insulin, half will continue to stay mm-hmm. on it because they, like they just it. need that insulin every day to, to keep going. Yeah. But they can lead pretty normal lives. It does require a pretty significant commitment on the mm-hmm. owners to, to give that insulin twice a day. I tell people, if you have to skip one dose, it's not going to be the end of the world for most cats. Yeah. I'd rather the blood sugar get a little high than a little bit low. Yeah. Um, but being consistent, making sure it's on that 12-hour schedule is the, the easiest the way to get part. them going. Yeah. So if you think your cat might be becoming diabetic, especially if they're drinking a lot of water and urinating a lot, get them into the vet, mm-hmm. get them a blood sample, get them a urine sample, check for those things. Even if you had blood work done a couple months before, Still haven't checked because diabetes has to start at some point. Mm -hmm. And I remember one older cat, we had done blood work in October, looked beautiful, came in beginning of December, was diabetic. Wow. And so we had that normal that show, okay, the cat wasn't diabetic then. And then we were able to get Mm -hmm. that cat uh, treated pretty well with that. A lot of people ask me about the oral medications for diabetes in cats. And we used to try those, but we just did not get really good regulation. And there was a lot of side effects from that. And what oral medications would there be? Uh, There's some oral medications they use in people for helping to control type 2 uh, blood sugar. Um, They're difficult to give because cats don't like to take pills anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also seen some uh, advertisements for herbal supplements and things to help control blood sugar. These are not very effective in cats. Yeah, um, they have some really nice testimonials that will be up there. But um, if your vet says your cat needs to be on insulin, put them on the insulin. Yeah. If you wait too long, then that uh, progression to the type 1 diabetes can be sped up or, or more likely to occur. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the pet health news. Okay. Uh, we have a great new product that's coming out for cats for parasite prevention. Mm-hmm. And this is another all-in-one, like the Revolution Plus. This is Brevecto Plus. Okay. Um, different from Revolution Plus in that this can be given every two months. Oh, okay. So the cost, I think, ends up being about the same per month. But it really depends on what's going to work best for you. Are you going to be the kind of person who's not going to be able to remember every month? Every two months would be better. Um, does your cat just not like to have it done? And doing it less often would be less stressful for them. Mm. Um, but it's very good at controlling not only the fleas and ticks, but also the heartworms and the roundworms mm. and hookworms. This is another topical one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so this is a moxidectin product uh, very similar to the ProHeart um, okay. in terms of the uh, internal parasite control. Um, there's also some new products coming out that we're going to make dental care a little bit easier. <laughs> so with the, you've seen these little finger brushes that come in the dental kits that yeah. you're supposed to put toothpaste on it. These are finger wipes that you put on that you just slip on and you just rub it over the dog's teeth and you throw it away. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, like, already has the built-on toothpaste or whatever? Yep. Cool. has the cleaner on there, um, and it's a little bit abrasive, so it helps get that oral health done. Um, it's designed to be used daily. Okay. I think there's, like, a two-month supply in the thing. It's from a company called Jackson Cali. But it must be some animals' names. You can go to <laughs> jacksoncally.com. Um, they have the information there. Um, I don't know if we're going to be stocking those here, but something I really would like to look into because I think some people maybe have a hard time getting the brush. This might be a good way to introduce them to the brushing. Yeah. Um, but for some dogs that don't like it, it might be a little bit easier for them. Well, and then if it's less bulky, softer on the mouth, that I can see yeah. that being a lot easier to get in there. And it's one less step, maybe make it easier for the owners. They just yeah. have to pull wipe out. They don't have to put toothpaste on or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and, or find a toothpaste tube or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 you don't have to open up their mouths. You can hold their mouths closed and yeah. just wipe this over those outer surfaces, but you can get your finger back wherever it'll go and if the cat dog likes it 
It'll be perfect. And it's just one wipe for the whole mouth? Or? One wipe for the whole mouth. Nice. Yeah, and it freshens your breath, too. Um, then uh, Nutrimax has come out with a new fish oil supplement, and this one's different. It's more concentrated, so they're going to be a less lower volume with the liquid than you give their old supplement, the Wellactin. So this is the Wellactin 3TA. Um, so this is uh, a, just a really good quality fish oil supplement that I'll recommend a lot there the current liquid or capsules, but um, having it in a concentrated liquid is going to be easier for cats yeah. that are really difficult to treat and for dogs that just don't like to take medications. Cool. Uh, next story is a pretty in- inspiring story here. These owners are really <laughs> um, doing everything they can for their dog. So this reg- is regards the uh, patient in California okay. was recently diagnosed with cancer. And the treatment was going to involve doing a bone marrow transplant to get the bone marrow stem cells into this Hmm. dog. So where do you find a bone marrow donor for a dog? dog. Right. Well, fortunately, they had gotten this dog from a breeder in England. And so they checked the mother who gave birth to the dog. And sure enough, she was a match. Really? I just got goosebumps. Really? (laughs) So... um, I think uh, they contacted the uh, the owner, so Coco was the mother, and Millie is the is the daughter that needs the cancer treatment. So they're going to meet in North Carolina. Uh, there's a facility there to do the bone marrow transplants. There's only a few of them in the in the world that offer this treatment, and so they're going to take the healthy stem cells from the bone marrow of Coco and inject them into Millie. Wow! So. Um, Three months ago, they were told the only chance they had for a cure was if they could find a, a good donor to have the transplant. And uh, when uh, Coco's owner arrived and they tested, they, they realized that, hey, things look like it's going to be a positive match here and that they're going to be able to do the uh, um, donation. Huh. So um, they, I think they just recently went into the hospital for the procedure. Um, the, everything is being paid for by um, Millie's owners. So it's really kind of nice that the... The Coco's owners were willing to come and do this, yeah. trying basically trying across the ocean to do that. And the cost for a procedure like that, just for the medical procedure, is about two to $3,000. And then you have to add in flying the people and their yeah. dogs over. <laughs> so these people really putting a, putting a, a lot of effort into making sure that Millie gets the best care. Yeah. Not everyone's going to do this, but it's really kind of neat that the same things they do in people That's are available amazing. for animals. So if you're willing to... To put the time and the money into it, and uh, your pet is worth it, which every one of our pets, I think, yeah. is, these thing options are available. And huh. it, it's really going to depend on the type of cancer yeah. and the prognosis and how early they caught it. I'm sure they're not going to recommend that for everybody. That's kind of kind of a neat thing. So good luck to Millie and Coco. Coco wasn't a match. They just keep testing other dogs? They or? could have tested other siblings, um, other half-brothers and sisters, and maybe found somebody who was a, a close match that way. But... A parent is going to be a much closer genetic yeah. match than the sibling would be. Hmm. All right, uh, we got a report of another cat food, uh, another food recall. This is a cat food this time, and yeah. again, it's a raw food. Uh. Okay, um, this is a Quest beef cat food. It's sold in two-pound frozen bags, and the uh, Minnesota Department of Agriculture reported a sample tested positive for salmonella. Hmm. So, if you go to the FDA website, they have the details of the recall. Um, so if you, if you have a two pound frozen bag, you probably can take it back and they'll, they'll take that with you. But salmonella, again, 
the biggest problem with salmonella is a human exposure to pets that have been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. The cats, cats don't usually get as sick, but people are cleaning out the litter box. Mm-hmm. They're going to be exposed to the salmonella, and that's a possible exposure to them. Um, symptoms in cats uh, can include um, lethargy, diarrhea, fever, vomiting. Um, some may only have a decreased appetite, a little fever, or maybe abdominal pain, or they're just carriers and they infect other animals yeah. or people. So if you're feeding your pet raw food, our recommendation is be really careful how you store it, how you Mm -hmm. do it. Better yet, don't feed them the raw food. Mm -hmm. But some people are really convinced that it makes a big difference for their pets. And I think there probably are some pets that are going to do really well on that, but it's not every pet. Next, we're going to go on to our case of the week. Mm -hmm. And this week, it's a little orange cat named Cheddar. Yeah. (laughs) So I had not seen Cheddar before. He came in on Saturday. And he had been to the emergency clinic a couple days earlier, and he had some swelling on his face. Mm-hmm. And this is very typical of uh, abscesses. But when they were at the emergency clinic, um, the abscess hadn't started to produce a pocket of fluid that they could actually drain. There's a lot of firm tissue swelling, but it wasn't mm-hmm. something that the, the vet felt that they could just drain and get the pus out. Mm-hmm. So they sent Cheddar home with some oral antibiotics. The owner came to me on Saturday and said, well... I think it's getting more soft now, but I just can't get these antibiotics into him. Mm. So poor Cheddar, his left eye was all squinty because it was swelling up his eye. His face was really puffy. He was in a lot of pain and discomfort. He was dehydrated Mm because he hadn't been eating or drinking well. It's very uncomfortable to do that. And he had a little bit of a fever. Um, So when we have an abscess and it has a pocket of fluid in it, this one you can definitely feel it then the thing we definitely want to do is drain it. And I'll usually sedate the animals for that because it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. We're making an incision in their skin. Um, but there's been some times where uh, the thin skin is so thin over the abscess, you can poke it thin it and the animals out. don't even know because yep. that, that skin is already dead. But for cheddar, we sedated him, was able to make a small incision on the bottom part of the abscess so it would be easy to drain, and then flush it out with an antiseptic solution. Mm-hmm. We gave him a shot of the long-acting antibiotic convenia, so the owner wouldn't have to catch him and give him pills every day. <laughs> and we gave him some pain medication, too, so that when he woke up, he'd feel pretty comfortable and not be feeling sore from that. Yeah, um, the owner came back today, reported not only is Cheddar doing better, he was feeling better that night and starting to eat and Good, feeling better. Yay. So just getting those abscesses to drain could be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Now, Cheddar's an outdoor cat. So this is the part of the problem. I think normally when we have a bite wound, you can f- you can see a puncture wound mm-hmm. near the abscess. I didn't see one. I think he actually had gotten bitten through the eyelid. Oh. So the tooth had caught under his lower eyelid and then poked down into his cheek oh. area. Because uh-huh. of the involvement in the eye, I think that's what happened. Um, so it's one of those things, if you can find the bite wounds, is real obvious to tell you. But this one, there wasn't an obvious bite wound. But you know, when I looked in the eye, sure enough, oh. there was a little red spot there. Oh, poor kitty. So outdoor cats are much higher risk for not yeah. only the abscesses, but the diseases that can be transmitted through the bite wounds, mm-hmm. namely feline leukemia and feline immunodeficiency virus. So we did a blood test on cheddar um, Saturday. That was negative. But it could take up to three months after a bite wound for them to become positive. So we're going to recheck them again in three months, and the owner's up, made sure his vaccines are Perfect. now up to date. That's the end. And always making sure if your cat goes outside, make sure they're up to date on rabies because you don't know what's biting them. Right. It could have been another cat, could have been a rabbit bat, could have been a raccoon. You don't know. Yes. And legally, you know, if we have an animal that's bitten by another animal and they don't have their rabies vaccine, we're, mm-hmm. our hands are kind of tied. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's an, an immediate quarantine, and in some cases, mm-hmm. um, the animals have to be put down. So 
keep those up to date. Yes. Um, get it done by the due date that they're due. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no um, leniency or, or grace period that they'll no. let you have that going forward. All right, on tech tips yes. this week, um, this is something that uh, a topic you brought up and that I never even really think about. <laughs> I've got cats, so yes. I don't have to deal with this a lot. But um, you've noticed this problem a lot. How do people go about choosing the right leash mm-hmm. for their pets? Well, this isn't just for dogs. This is for cat owners, too. Well, but choosing uh, the right... cats would not do well with a leash. <laughs> well, for outdoor kitties who like walks, right. you know, choosing the right leash. So not everybody goes to the store and actually does their research on which leash to get for their dog. Everyone thinks, you know, I'm only going to get the cute one that matches the collar or something like that. But what you need is something practical. If you have a large dog... You do not want to put it on a retractable leash. A lot of times owners use retractable leashes because they want to give their dog the freedom to run and whatever they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And that is fine if they are in a wide open area or if their dog is good at coming back when called. If your dog is one who will lunge or sees a squirrel or something and takes off, you know, a lot of times retractable leashes um, backfire. You go to click the stopper. And it'll just snap. And so that leash will just keep going and going and going. And you can't click it to bring your dog back. So now you're trying to grab this super thin little leash to pull your dog back. And, you know, heaven forbid what they're chasing. Another dog, another person, a raccoon, something. You know, hopefully they're not running towards the street or something like that. Um, These leashes go from 6 to almost 25 feet, um, depending on which retractable leash you get. And if your dog is 25 feet away from you, you, you can't help them if something happens. Yeah. So we would all, I personally do not like retractable leashes to begin with. Um, if you try to grab them, you can hurt your hand. Dog can wrap around you. They can hurt the dog if you go to pull and it's around their neck or right, something. Or a leg, yeah. a leg or something. Um, it, like again, it can backfire. Personally, I don't like retractable leashes unless you are in an area where the dog can have that freedom of range. Um, Thicker leashes are usually good, especially for bigger dogs, Um, especially if you have those dogs that will turn around and bite. Um, They have Kong leashes that are heavy-duty, thick leashes. Uh, You don't want the thin half-an-inch leash. You want a full inch leaf or three and four quarters leash something thicker maybe even a leather leash Um, we have a lot of owners that come in whose leashes have been chewed through multiple times and what they do is they just knot it clearly that's not a good leash your dog can bite through it in a second we have had dogs here we are standing with them five minutes later they're running down the hall because the dog knows they can bite through the leash wow um and so there are some times where we have donated leashes here i've given owners beautiful pure leather leashes and they're like oh no my leash is fine no it's not your dog knows it can choose through it just because you put a knot around it doesn't mean it's safe because if your dog does that while you're walking down the street or and it gets hit by a car or your dog takes off and the knot comes undone you know heaven forbid something like that happens what about i've seen some people with the metal chain leashes metal chain leashes um definitely okay but you have to be careful with those too especially for dogs who like to chew the leashes um you know you want to watch them for their teeth because they could crack a tooth um and you want to be careful when trying to grab them because they're not there's nothing for your hand to grab onto so this if your hand's wrapped around and you have a hundred pound dog in a pool that's chain against your hand like you can crush your hand um so if you have a dog that chews a leash get a kong one or 
the metal leash, um, I will not say no against those because I'd rather you have your dog protected, especially if you know that dog is right. about to pull. Um, they just make sure you're held onto the handle. Uh-huh, the actual so handle part, it, right? yeah. Um, and then they just have so many other leashes that have good ha- comfort handle grips on it. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, they have one where it's a six foot leash, but at the end of the six foot and then at four feet, there are two handles. Okay. So you can easily grab your dog, which is good. You want to always be able to be in control of your dog. Now, I've seen some people with these leashes that are like an octopus. You know, it goes out and then they connect two or three dogs at yes, the ends. Yes, I actually have some of those. And yes. do those work pretty well? <laughs> um, so those are actually really cool for me um, because I actually keep my dogs on a four-foot leash. And then they have an extra foot each um, that connects to the tether lines. And so what works with that is the dogs aren't really pulling you unless they decide to work together and pull like a sled. (laughs) But usually they're pulling against each other. So those are good if you have dogs that tend to pull against each other or if you have two dogs that like to get into things. My two do and I love it because I'll have my girl who tries to bite something and the boy pulls and so now she can't get to it. Or like it helps keep them distracted because then they're like, hey, come on, I want to go this way. No, I want to go this way. I'm fine walking down the middle of the sidewalk while my dogs are tiring each other out. Those are okay. The biggest thing is just making sure you have two dogs that are going to walk well together. If you have dogs that rile each other up or um, even tend to attack each other, if they get too excited, you know, you don't want them. them You don't want them where you can't separate them. Um, but if you have to walk multiple dogs at one time and that works well together, those multiple dog leashes are great. Um, we did it when we have the three poodles here. We put all three of them together and mm-hmm. they're just fun to walk together. Yeah, um, those three little Africa poodles. Uh-huh. Yeah. But those were great for them. Um, and then leashes for cats. Um, they have thin leashes you know, if you go online, you're going to find a bunch of harnesses. Mm-hmm. Usually, always a cat harness comes with a leash. Yeah, you don't want to use a collar on cats because they can slip out of those They can easily. easily slip out, and mm-hmm. almost every cat collar is break away. Break away, so. Uh-huh, so you want a protective harness that can get underneath their abdomen, chest area, around the neck, but also cushions the chest. Um, and then, you know, don't just throw your cat outside on a harness and a leash. You know, if your cat likes to walk, great. Don't try to drag your cat with it. Um, yeah. But... You know, cats, just like dogs, they will turn around and they will bite the leash if they are scared enough to try to get away. And most leashes that comes with cat harnesses are are just to look cute. They are not a good leash at all. So just like with people, like my cat, I take him outside just to sit with the dogs every now and then. My cat has a pure leather leash. And my cat has chewed on it many, many of times. I think now he just thinks of it as a toy. But... (laughs) He has never actually gotten his canine all the way through. So it is a thick, sturdy leash. Like I can probably walk a 150 pound dog on it Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about it. And that's what you want. You want to have that comfort of knowing if your pet is outside, they are going to come back in the house with the same condition as you brought them outside. And that's the safety you want. Good. So we want people to stay away from the retractable leashes. There are some animals that seem to do well on those. And some people, if they're really well trained, but for the most part, more problems than they're worth. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to take your cat for a walk, get the right <laughs> harness, get the right leash, and give it a try. Um, 
be sure you're using some sort of parasite preventative because yes. then now they're going to be outside and they're going to be exposed to the fleas and the intestinal parasites as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next week, we're going to be bringing our diabetes discussion into the dog world and talking more about the differences uh, that we see in diabetes in dogs and the, and the ways that we have to treat and diagnose that. That's going to be an interesting talk, especially for people who have diabetic dogs or are interested in, in learning more about that. Yeah. So that's it for this week on The Pet Factor. I'm Dr. Jim Hosa. I'm Brittany. You've been listening to The Pet Factor with Dr. Jim Hosek and Brittany Reeves.